You're listening to Exceptions Welcome, the podcast for programming bootcamp graduates and other new or early career software developers. We're your hosts, Ben Wilhelm and Colin Miller. We're a couple of self-taught developers with 25 years of experience between us, and we met as bootcamp instructors. Uh, we thought there was more to be said after the graduation day. Today, we're talking about lessons we've learned starting our careers and looking for new jobs. Uh, hey, congrats, you got a new job. Yeah, I did. Uh, started it today, even. So uh, anything that we want to talk about is going to be super fresh. Super fresh? Yeah. Uh, how was it? How was the first day? Uh, we talked about this because we started a similar close times teaching at full stack. And when I, I think something I told you that you said sounded true is that when you're a developer and your primary contribution is writing code, you have a pretty clear sense from job to job of whether or not you're getting started well, because you have things uh -huh. like a ticket or you actually like, I know when I'm writing code. And in teaching, I felt a little unmoored in that. And I think going into, like we should say, Anybody who's listening, my new role is a director of engineering at a little company called Screencastify, uh, which I am uh, financially incentivized to tell you is great, and you should sign up for it. <laughs> I have no such uh, incentives, and I would still say that if you are in the screencasting need, you should check it out. Uh, but yeah, being in a starting a director of engineering role, at least for the first time, I feel a similar unmooring that it's not as immediately obvious what uh, what productivity looks like. Uh, so doing things like reading and scheduling meetings for other people is like productive work now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's been. Um, I mean, I had I had similar difficulty and frustration at when I was sort of transitioning into management, which ultimately I did not really last very long i decided to be a teacher instead but um of just it when you're used to having tangible output the the idea of making other people work more efficiently doesn't feel like you're really doing anything i think no i think that that sounds fair uh, especially when when the measurement of that is like, it's hard to know, like, what is a leading indicator of, of doing that? Like, a leading indicator of writing code is that you have an editor open and that you see things. Uh, you get that that feedback loop. But the leading indicator of management, I'm not sure what that is yet. And I feel like it's probably not as concrete. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I wonder if that, if the, le if the leading indicators of management are more about your own... Um, your own competence and your own knowledge of your competence. So like mm -hmm. the leading indicator is to look at something and say, I know what I need to do here. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of, that's always like, even, even though like the leading in indicators for a developer, maybe I'm like thinking back and feeling like they were more obvious because maybe they were a little bit always, but always like in the first days and weeks, there's like a getting, getting your new company legs on and figuring out just like, what is anything here? Uh, but I remember one of the reasons why you said you wanted to do this was to talk a little bit about some of the differences in like seeking a job early in career versus later in career. Yeah. Cause you and I have this little podcast where we talk to people who are early in their careers and we tell them all sorts of things about 
what they should do early in their careers. Mm -hmm. And maybe it'll be helpful for them to know kind of what it's like for us later in our careers when we're doing all the same things. Yeah. And also be able to like contrast and think back, what are some things that could have been true earlier in my career if I had let them be? Yeah. So what are some things? What are some things? Uh, (laughs) To put you on the spot. The glib answer is that it gets a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, That is like experience is an unfair advantage. And the other unfair advantage is you actually do build a network. And I would say that I have not necessarily, I don't feel like I've worked very proactively to build a network. But as I got a longer career, I sort of looked around at this point and realized that I had one. Uh, So this particular Mm -hmm. job, uh, you had worked with the company before. Uh, You contracted with them a little bit. And the entire Chicago development staff are former students where we both taught. Correct. So (laughs) (laughs) that had a little bit of a leg up. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the uh, like the the nice thing, if you could say, like looking backwards is like stick around if you can. Uh, that I feel like I did very little active work in building a network and ended up with a good one after about mm-hmm. a decade. And if you, I imagine that if I even like put a little more thought and effort into that earlier, I could have had that network like much earlier. What What do you think that thought and effort would have looked like because i i actually have my own theory about why you looked around and realized you had a network and why it worked for you but but sitting where you are where do you what what would you have done differently or what do you think it would have looked like differently i almost feel like i have no idea uh i think like the things that helped me here were i mean really just frankly my 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 most recent job as a as a teacher gave me more chances at longer term relationships that would last outside of that given job that a lot of the earlier parts of my career were at much smaller companies where Mm -hmm. the just like the the likelihood of building that network was lower because if there's only 10 people at a startup uh if they if it's just a a numbers game and you're only going to end up with like some percentage of people that you you would consider to be in your network. If there's not enough there, it won't happen. I'd also guess maybe like being later in career naturally ended up with other people who are a little bit later in career. I think like working at a lot of, I did a lot of contracting at earlier stage startups, which I think uh, wanted to take advantage of hiring more early stage career people who maybe weren't quite as like attuned to the value of, of building a network. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think maybe just like just valuing it would have been a, a thing, uh, having some, some degree of, of confidence or awareness in trying to, to, to build it out. Yeah. You said you, you, you had a thought. What was your thought? My thought is that, uh, the other word for networking is relationships. Mm-hmm. The other word for your network is relationships. Um, and you are a person who uh, gives generously of what you know, and um, and and you know, having worked with you, I know that you always try to leave you know where you are a better place than where you found it. 
And so that builds relationships that builds reciprocal relationships where even if you were not cultivating those connections personal, like purposely trying to keep track of where people ended up so that you could tap them for a job five years later, you could five years later tap someone at a company and say, Hey, I'm on the market. Do you know anything? And because of what you had put out, previously and the way you have interacted with people and worked with people previously, those people are much more likely to say, yes, I would love to help you, Colin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that would be more true of me in the time that you knew me. When really? I was younger, I was a bit of a shithead fu fuck up if we're allowed to say <laughs> Go uh, on. Uh, I think there's like, there's a stage in my career where I don't think I stuck anywhere more than like six months. Okay. Maybe like a year and a half was like my long record. And now in the, since I moved to, to Chicago, I've had two positions in about five years. And I think maybe that is a thing that uh, looking backwards, I, I could have told myself to like hang out a little bit longer and you will, uh, you will build those relationships uh, and then you will be able to look around and see them. Yeah. Uh, but for a lot of, a lot of like combined reasons that uh, I can now lovingly look back and refer to myself as a shithead fuck up. <laughs> uh, I did not, I did not leave a lot of jobs with those relationships. But it's, I still think it's telling that the job where you did work those relationships to end up all of your connections are from your time teaching, which is the time I'm speaking of knowing you. Yeah. And yeah. I, I venture to say that five years from now, you could tap any of your former students and say, Hey, I'm on the market. And the vast majority of them would jump to help you out. Yeah. I think that that makes sense. So if I was going to do something differently, it would have been to, I think just be aware of and, and, and value that more and like to be just like very personal about it. I think to, to trust in the value that I brought to the places that I worked. Uh -huh. uh, I think I would sort of get into these spirals where I made the assumption that I was, I was no good there. And so that would sort of lead to like self-destructive exits. Yeah. And so it, you end up with those situations you're like, oh, I think I didn't leave that that well. And so like through the shame of that, like I would never consider like trying to follow up with anybody from there for help with sort of uh, networking or, or job see see seeking. But let me tell you, when you uh, when you don't have those negative spirals of doubt and shame and you, <laughs> you, you connect well with the people that that you work with, it is uh, it is not overwhelmingly frightening to think about uh, talking to them about, hey, I'm like seeking a new job or I particularly want a reference at a certain place. I mean, I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, we can look back at some point in our earlier career and think about a time when we were a shithead fuck up. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to get bogged down in that. 
I definitely have those. I definitely sort of, uh, I have been surprised in fact, by like thinking about a place that I had worked where I thought I had left on bad terms and then, you know, someone who maybe I did leave on bad terms, but someone else was feeling the same way about where we were and come to find out like, Oh no, they actually had a lot of respect for me and we worked very well together. And I was too caught in my own sort of self-loathing, self-destructive mm-hmm. <laughs> thought process about, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so like one would be, you know, have a, have a better relationship with, with yourself and that'll make the career path go a lot better, yeah. uh, which can be hard. It can. Uh, so that's the, I if mean, it wasn't hard, we wouldn't be t- talking about it right now. Yeah. Right. It, so much of your personal identity is wrapped up in your career. So to feel like you are doing well or doing poorly or, you know, self-sabotaging, it, it, it has a, certainly a compounding effect or it can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even just in the way that I described, like the the first days and weeks at a job, trying to figure out like, am I doing well enough here? Sort of speaks to that that relationship to to productivity and value and worth. Yeah, uh, I imagine there's probably it would probably would not be good to just have a completely like I don't care attitude towards it. Uh, but I think that the the other side of the coin gets pretty dark. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, you know, we talked about like, what, what would I tell, and that is what we were talking about. What would I, what would we tell previous versions of ourselves? What would you tell a previous version of yourself? Um, it's that it's like, it, it's exactly what you said. Like trust yourself and trust that the value, trust in the value you're bringing to this organization. Mm-hmm. Trust that I think I could never quite tell the chicken or the egg whether I didn't trust the people around me. So I didn't trust their opinion of me, which usually, at least on the surface, they would tell me was favorable, but I didn't believe it. Or if I didn't believe myself, believe in myself, so I didn't then believe them. I did, so I think, well, they must be idiots if they're putting their faith in me. This is getting to a real <laughs> self-therapeutic sort of place that I didn't maybe intend for it to go. Yeah. Uh, I think on that, on that line, because I definitely agree that it's, it's getting there. Like I think like some glib things and it, it's a lot easier to tell someone else these things. And so it's a lot easier to tell your, your past self these things, but a version of that would be like, if someone didn't want you around, they could very easily fire you. Right. Uh, that if 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 you need some hard, strong sign that uh, that your feelings of, of self doubt are not super valid, or they don't agree with what the people around you feel, is that if if they really needed you out, they could do that very easily. Yeah. <laughs> like they're. <laughs> actually paying you to be there Mm -hmm. so if they didn't want you there all they have to do is stop paying you yeah so actually you're probably doing fine (laughs) yeah uh yeah i I think maybe like it comes down to 
and I agree there's like a bit of that chicken and egg, but like one lens of, of looking at it is assuming that like if people think that you're not doing well, they're going to withhold that from you rather than like let you know ways that you can improve. Which and, there certainly are toxic workplaces where that is the case, mm -hmm. but they are overtly toxic in my experience. <laughs> And yeah. you know that that is a toxic workplace and that is the case. And they are few and far between. Most of the time, if you're doing a bad job, you'll actually be told that. Mm -hmm. No one's going to let that just sort of... No one's going to tell you the opposite, for one thing. And if you just started and you're doing a bad job, people will tell you like, <laughs> what you should be doing. That's because yeah. you're brand new that's what they should be doing <laughs> right. like, yeah. and it's not that you're doing a bad job it's that you are not yet informed about what your job entails right and probably like even there it probably wouldn't be like framed or even really considered from their perspective of you're doing a bad job but more that like i would prefer that you do things differently than the way you're mm -hmm. doing now uh that if you do have somebody again you would probably be very overt that if someone was going to say you're doing a bad job you would they would let you know real quick in a very cruel way yeah that that if if that's really the way that they saw their relationship with you right i have a theory hmm? that much of this is due to the uh you know 12 to 16 plus years of schooling that most of us go through where we get periodic grades that say here i am i am telling you affirmatively that you are doing a good job mm. and when we don't get that anymore in the workplace it is it it suddenly throws you for a loop especially you know early in your career if you're not too far out of school and consciously or unconsciously you don't have those that that feedback mechanism anymore and you have to tune yourself now to new feedback mechanisms right when when, when you literally have a essentially like in some classes your daily work is scored that yeah. you have a very clear uh thing to measure your, yourself up against so like think about and, and there is objectively right and wrong in most cases where yeah. that is often not the case in your job all right, I want to like attack this from from other angles as well. Uh, mm -hmm. I think this is all very valid stuff, but I think there are it's not all this like stark uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh big deep stuff. I think that there is like <laughs> taking that and not, you know, not hiding it and throwing it away, but taking like that's one aspect of things that would be different uh, about early job search and later job search uh that maybe uh, to different degrees or to different lengths, some people may or may not experience. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I have heard of like well-adjusted people who apparently don't have those deep spirals of like doubt and self-loathing. Uh, wow, that must be nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the other th I'm thinking about uh, things that so I'm thinking like way, way, way back to my first job searches. Uh, where I hadn't worked any programming job yet. And my background was uh, like I had started on 
like the 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 old like maybe it was like version two of the agile web development with Ruby on Rails book mm -hmm. way back when like Rails was at like V1. I think I had version three of that book. Yeah, I don't remember when version three because I, I think that the the book versions out were outpacing the versions of the of the framework for a while. I think that's right. I don't I don't yeah. think they're I don't think they're related. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd, it was, I had like the second or third edition. So it was around that time that I, I kind of got my introduction to programming through that book, really. And from Rails, I got like pulled into JavaScript because that seemed like the like the Rails part of it to me at that point seemed like this is the way that you save data and the way that you read data. But the way that you make applications was through JavaScript. Uh, sort of all the things, because that was around the time that, that Gmail was new and exciting and mm -hmm. Google Maps was new and exciting. And so it seemed like to do things like that, you need JavaScript. So I got into that and like found resources and kind of just like tried to train myself to do that and then started sending out job apl applications with little portfolio pieces of like things that I had built. And I definitely like back then had to work a lot harder uh, to, to feel like I was applying effectively that I've to even feel like I, 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 I would, I would have a shot at all. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that I think to me made a lot of sense at the time. I didn't have, uh, I didn't have as, as many like responsibilities or, or duties in life. I was younger. Uh, burning the midnight oil was a little bit more like that was the resource that I had to yeah. throw into this. And if I think about like what has changed over time is I don't think I've, I've I haven't felt the need to work as hard because like you build up like even just one item on your resume uh, is like night and day di difference from trying to convince someone to hire you with no experience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's what we would tell our students is like, first yeah. one's the hardest. Yeah, like I had some interviews that uh, like I had one, one very early one. It's like going way back to 2007, maybe. And I got through to a state where they had me do some sort of like a, a like a, a take a take home challenge equivalent. And I didn't make it. I think what they told me, which think I kind of understand now I didn't quite understand then I wasn't too upset because I was like just excited to have gotten an interview it kind of seemed impossible that someone would actually consider me at that time what they said is like oh you seem like someone who's like I think what they're trying to say is like you know some stuff but you're a little like un unfocused and like not quite uh you're raw and rough and they didn't want to uh, spend the time to polish me and they're uh -huh. like, keep working at it, buddy. Uh, but not for us. Were they encouraging about it? I think they were. Yeah, it it it, it was phrased in in encouragingly. I think that uh, I forget the exact language. Uh, and they said like, oh, you seem like someone who's really like interested in diving into the, the like the technology and like working out how to program a thing. And you should keep keep working on that, but we're looking for something a little bit different. 
Uh, so I think that that was like a pretty good rejection. Yeah. That it, it could have easily have been phrased like, you don't have what it takes. Right. Uh, but I think they, they put it in a really good way that was like, you should keep working at it because uh, you're not there yet. And did you hear that at the time? I think I did. This is starting to be, I don't want to think about how many years ago. Uh, so when I re- reflect back to it, I think I was, de- I was definitely very di- disappointed. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really do think because for me, this was so young and just like, I had this position that that was around the time that like all my friends are going to college. So I didn't go. And I was like, well, if I don't get, if I didn't get this job, I'm not behind yet. I think that was like maybe the thing that was like the seed of a potential unhealthy relationship with a job search, but that didn't cause problems immediately is that I kind of saw myself as like, I have a four year chance to work this out. And if I can get on a career path before my friends start getting out of college, then I haven't screwed up yet. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I was able to take it as like, you know, maybe I do have something here in that I can get an interview like before I am on paper supposed to be qualified to get them. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is complete BS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah. I mean, I guess you and I both, uh, we know each other because we worked under the model that a, a degree does not, a developer make mm-hmm. um but yeah the the farther i get from my degree my degree being in theater um the more i recognize not that not that it was not valuable but that there are a million other ways that i could have ended up in you know at least as successful as i am right now having not gone to college yeah. And I think now I, I I really do believe that in what I feel like is a healthy way mm-hmm. uh, with more experience, with more time, with, with teaching a lot of people who came into programming without necessarily a programming background. Uh, like at the boot camp, you see doctors, lawyers, artists, musicians, line chefs, uh, people from finance. Yeah, uh, they tend to have like you know not a, a fear of opening up a computer program and like poking at it, uh, so that does help. But I think yeah, definitely at 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 the beginning it was a little bit less less that I believed it, but that I needed it to be true because I had taken the risk at that time of not going to college at all, mm-hmm. and so like I needed it to work out. Uh, yeah. And I think it luckily it did work out. Right. <laughs> well, and here's what I think, you know, not not that I knew you for the, you know, 10 intervening years between there and when we met, but um the thing that I know about you is that you are a continuous learner. You are always learning. There's there's never a time I don't think that I'm sitting with you and you're not learning about something around us, if not 
postulating about things that you read yesterday. And so without like, like that is, that is the thing that you need, especially working in tech, but that is the thing you need to advance meaningfully in most careers, but especially in tech where the, the industry moves so fast that you can't just lean on the pedigree of a degree you have to continue to learn. And so the farther you, it makes sense to me that the farther you get from the piece of paper that laid some foundation, but that really in the early years, it's the piece of paper that opens doors and less, I think the foundation, the farther you get from that, the more the compounding of all of those years of voracious seeking of knowledge has caught up to you and, and probably surpassed, uh, what you know four years of college might have done for you yeah i think there's also like there's something like fortuitous about the time uh which is that the the whole career i've heard it put that that web development was i'm trying to like place this correctly is that the first generation of web developers were all people who did something else and then had a need to publish themselves on this nascent thing that was called the web. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't taken very seriously in the beginning. And so you end up with a lot of a lot of other like people from creative fields who have some some predisposition to like self-starting. Yeah. So you get a, like a lot of authors and artists and uh, sort of free 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 freelancers seeing this opportunity to start working in that and then by the time i was sort of of age to uh dive into that so if i was starting to get into this at like 2007 ish that's like a full decade into the web being a thing Mm -hmm. and so that that first generation was starting to turn around and like create some really good resources for how to understand and how to work in this thing. And especially at that time, uh, the, the knowledge that they were sharing, I don't think was available anywhere else other than online. And so the, that knowledge was compounded within that online community. Is that what you're yeah, yeah. I think also like where I'm going is like, if I had tried this like thing, like I'm not going to go to college, uh, say 10 years earlier, that it might not have gone as well because the, mm. the web is such a, like the web is a machine that if you want to learn things co- constantly, I don't think there's ever been a good as a machine as the web. Right. And I think that like the first thing I've I've had this sense that like the web is almost this, if you can anthropomorphize it, it is this thing that wants to like dissect knowledge and make it available. And the first thing that it was let loose on was itself. Uh Uh-huh. That the first body of knowledge of the first body of knowledge to be laid bare on the web was how to work for and with the web. Right. All right, so here's something 
you and I have talked about sort of in passing. What do you think is the future of the sort of um, self-starter ability, the, the approachableness of being a web developer or a software developer? Do you think that we are living in a specific moment in the, in the arc of this technology where people can find their way in and it's still relatively approachable without, a, you know, years of university study and you can learn, um, learn from each other in sort of the, you know, apprenticeship and guild sort of fashion or, uh, or do you think that there's something inherent about it and it will, it will continue to open up and people will be able to continue to find their way in? Yeah, I don't know. I think so, like, because we, we've talked about this in the sense of, uh, like, from the boot camp. And I think having taught it there, like, I've always been been curious, and, and I don't know if I can actually come up with an honest answer. Would I have gone for a boot camp if something like that around was available when I was getting started? Yeah. Uh, I just sort of, like, I, I don't think I can accurately gauge whether or not that would have been the a thing that I would have followed. Uh, having taught it, I definitely saw some very strong value in it for a lot of students that uh, for people who are just perfectly primed to be ready to to consume that knowledge at that speed, it's sort of like rocket fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, like on, on the other ends of, of the bell curve, it kind of feels like uh, if, if you get to it too soon or too late, uh, it can sort of not be the best thing. Uh, like you definitely end up with some students who are like, oh, you kind of already got this. You probably could have gotten that that first job. I remember like maybe like maybe there's too much now uh, that it, it helps to be given a, a path. Whereas back. I think uh, that's the real value is the path. Mm-hmm. By cut you off. Can finish your thought. Oh, yeah, I was thinking like so maybe like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, the. Like, I mean, really, like. I would credit Ruby on Rails as being like uh, sort of. I think it's it's no. It's really apparent to, to me that most languages and tools are in response to Rails. Like yeah. Rails was Rails was the great co- collection of here's what people have kind of been knocking together for a while. Uh-huh. Here's a collection of a really good way to do it, and mm-hmm. like. Rails single-handedly redefined model view controller to the extent that for a long time you couldn't make a web framework without claiming to be model view controller. And which, of course, of... is a bastardization of the term to begin yeah. with. Uh, we could get in deep deep dive. We could. We could. Uh, I, th- I think like being there at that time when Rails was very new and kind of exploding on the scene created this almost like beacon to draw around that that showed like, here's a path, here's a way in, here's Mm -hmm. a way to understand thinking about building, you know, database driven networked applications. Yeah. uh, With a client server architecture. And maybe now it's not quite so obvious if you wanted to, to get start, where should you start? Uh, And so being shown a way to, to do it and be able to get through it relatively quickly uh, is probably a huge help. Uh, whereas back then it was, it was really easy to say, yeah, just 
do rails. It's going to give you, it's going to give you a taste of everything. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that is pretty much what rails did for me. Like I, I never would have called myself a rails developer. I spent a few months and a couple of side projects on it and basically jumped from PHP to node, but so, so, so much of what I understood about how to build a modern, scalable, you know, maintainable web application came from those couple of months I spent in 2010 poking at Rails and understanding why that design pattern works so well. I would, I'd like, I, I have lovingly, uh, when I, when I give people my, my history, if I'm talking about it and I, and I, catch on that I'm talking to someone who's been in the industry like some period of time, I will refer to myself as a, a rails baby. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, Cause I felt kind of very fortunate that that was my first start. Uh, yeah. That I got to start at a time when there's a tool available that gave you the full stack in a single package mm-hmm. and let you get started very quickly with the scaffolding so that I, I didn't have to spend a lot of time piecing together the small pieces and I got to get a big picture uh, approach very quickly. Yeah, I think if I had to do it again, if a boot camp had been available to me, knowing myself, I probably would not have done it because I would have feared the monetary and time commitment. Mm-hmm. But, But had I in that time, say 2009 or 10, known myself in this time, <laughs> if I were able to, to actually advise myself of 10-ish years ago, I would say, holy crap, yes, do it. Yeah. Like the amount of, because I, I don't know about you, I basically just quit my job. In, I, I was in my mid-20s. I was tired of theater. Uh, and I quit my job. I was tired of having a job and decided I'm going to be a web designer and had no idea even that they were different things, a developer and a designer. And it took me close to, close to two years, let's say a year and a half before I figured out that I, one, that I was a terrible web designer (laughs) and trying to make my living at it was just going to lead to heartache. But also that I was spending all of my time learning to write code, like learning how to better structure the application, writing my own CMS, doing all of that. Yeah. And the amount of time I spent eating through savings and just fiddling around, like I learned a ton. I learned things that still are helpful to me now, but, you know, I, I easily ate through the tuition of a boot camp in savings over that time. I had been fortunate to be working for a very successful uh, talk show that was filmed in the Midwest. You may have heard of it. Um, and so when I left that, I, I had a, a bit of savings. And then, yeah, I would, I, but like, I think I, I think I would have probably been afraid to, to commit to it. But now in retrospect, knowing how much I was like, how much code was like crack to me (laughs) that I ultimately figured out. 
Um, and how I think the, so the, the advice I would give someone is if you are, if you can't put it down, if it's the thing that you're doing when you're supposed to be doing something else, but you just don't know the direction that you need to go in order to like build a complete tool set, then, then the, the bootcamp model probably is right. That makes sense to me. What's been kind of going through through my head right now is that uh, possibly this might not be true after three years of teaching one. Although I'd say like having been a teacher at a boot camp, I think like something that, that, that has changed in me is when I was a student in high school, I was... Uh, I was like the the quick way to say it is that I was an awful student. I was the worst student. Uh, if I had like three months, and someone would give me the money, I would almost consider going to a boot camp right now. Uh, in that having the, because I feel like I have in that since since that that time, I have in observing a lot of students. I have learned like what it would take in me to be a very good student and uh, and to make effective use of that time. And I kind of have had this theory. So I've taken a lot of uh, improv classes, uh, as, as, as Ben knows. And I've actually and, taken... And taught a number of them as well. taught right? a number of them. Uh, I have taken an introductory, an introductory level one class to improv, uh, at least like one, two, three, four, five or six times. Uh, I've taken them like after starting to teach them, I've still taken them. And I still love going to them because I think what I, as I've like mellowed out and matured a little bit, have really believed the uh, the notion that you 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 only get out what what you put in, uh-huh. and that it is not that an introductory class has nothing to give to you. Uh, it in fact is almost like a thing that you you can bring more to. The more expertise that you have into a thing, the more you can bring to the intro level stuff. Sure. And. I feel like it would be it would not be a financially wise p- position <laughs> at this point that I don't think I'd get enough out of it to justify forgoing salary for three months and actually paying that amount of money. But mm-hmm. if somebody told me, you know, we will pay your salary for three months so you can go to a, a boot camp, I would say yes. Uh, would you, that, you're talking about going to a web development boot camp, like the boot camp you have previously taught? Not necessarily yeah. the same boot camp, but yeah. the same same curriculum. Uh, same 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 curriculum. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that I could bring a lot to it, and if it wasn't going to be like a, a financially poor choice to make, that if I could be relaxed during it, it would almost be like going. Uh, I think like people say like, oh, I well, like we'll go on like a meditation. Re- retreat or like go live in a monastery for a while that the analogy for me 
as a programmer would just be like, oh, you know what? Sometimes there's a reason why people like, you know, write the same figures a thousand times. Uh, and that sometimes mastery is just sort of like patiently doing the, the, the simple things. What are the, so you said that you would be, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but you, you said something to the effect of, of, you know, what you need to do now to be a good student or to learn, to learn for yourself. Mm -hmm. What are those things other than relax, as you have mentioned? (laughs) Uh, I mean, that, that is a big one. Uh, I think that that the, the thing that that gets easier, the more confident you are in the thing that you're learning or studying, is to observe yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, like the better you know a thing, while you're going through those basic things, like the more you can observe yourself. Like if I went into, like doing something that I've never done before, and is a strenuous load for me mentally. I don't have a lot of ability left over to observe myself in it. But if I am doing something that's not as, not as taxing, I could pay attention to myself. Like, how am I responding to this thing that I think I know how to do really well? Uh, That I like, I think I know how to like start a project from scratch. I think I know how to write a test. I think I know how to, uh, operate as a member of a team and open up a pull request and divide up tasks that when, when it's really important to do those things, it's a little bit harder to pay attention to how I'm doing it. Uh, Whereas if I was going through sort of a, a classroom environment, I could really, especially given that the, the very like big beginner stuff, uh, it's sort of like, oh, I could do this with my eyes closed if that was possible to do for programming. Uh, and I could really pay attention to, I guess, like the social things and my own my own inner state while I was doing it. That this sort of like ties back to what we were talking about in the maybe first 15 or, or 20 minutes uh, about like relationship to self and, and those doubts uh, is that when you're closer to the edge of your capability, uh, it feels more like being in that state. That if I'm going to a classroom and I feel like oh, I'm going to be learning things that I, like my failure rate is going to be higher in this, it's harder for me to to like focus on me. Yeah. And easier to focus on like how bad I am. But of course... Being at the edge of failure is how you improve and how you learn, which makes it uh, that much more important that one maintains a healthy, uh, a healthy relationship to failure. Yeah, I think that that might might be like uh, if I was going to give someone advice for like getting into this career, would be have like a really good sense of how do you respond to failure? How do you respond to not knowing a thing? How do you respond to uh, 
yeah, if you get yourself into that position where I don't know what I'm doing, does that like make you cower into a ball of fear? Uh, and then you like act out and sideways or can you feel comfortable in that space and not, you know, turn into a shithead fuck up <laughs> that I would imagine that if you do have like a comfortable relationship with that in, in yourself and can say, yes, uh, I can wade out into feeling like I have no idea what I'm doing and stay calm and confident and be able to work on that, get into it. If you struggle with that, uh, either work on that first before investing a lot of time and money or work on them simultaneously, but know that they're, they're you're going to have to deal with both of them. Yeah. I don't think they're, I don't think they're binary though. I mean, I think you can, you can feel differently in different situations. Like for instance, I think that I am overly comfortable with failure when I am, uh, when I am in the situation where I, I am really outside of my zone of knowledge. Like I can be, I can charge out into some place where I'm like, I'm sure I'll figure this out. Um, and it has bitten me in the past professionally and personally. Um, and I think I'm like, I am too comfortable at least ahead of the fact with failure. I'm like, or maybe too confident. <laughs> maybe those are different things. Whereas in the middle zone, in the like, oh, now I have some knowledge of what I'm doing, but not yet mastery. Now I can see what mastery looks like and I don't have it. That's where I have to really keep my head and my wits about me and say like, no, you don't have it yet. Like, you're not a terrible person. You're not, it's just that you're learning. You're still learning. You have failed and now you're learning. Uh, I'm going through a lot of this right now as a self-employed business owner of just like, oh, there are all kinds of things about doing this on my own without the guide rails of an employer that are very uncomfortable and one has to learn and, and, uh, get, you know, master. Um, and they are skills that are outside of the realm of engineering, which is what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Um, and it's a daily, a daily, like, it's like, it, honestly, it's like being a junior developer again. It's, it's that situation of like going in and feeling like, Am I doing this right? Yeah. Am I not cut out for this? That's really what it is. It's like, it, did I make a huge mistake in thinking that I could ever do this? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the the healthy, I think I I saw so much of that when we were teaching in students in that moment of, oh, now that we've moved beyond the this is a function, this is a variable. Now that we're putting together an entire web application and you can see the world of software development sprawling out around you in all directions, all the way to the horizon in every direction to suddenly grasp one, that you'll never know it all. And two, how little you actually know mm -hmm. <laughs> is suddenly very disorienting. 
And I think that's the place where people get into a lot of trouble with failure is when they can see where they want to be or what they think they should know and they don't cut themselves enough slack that they don't know it yet. Uh, I'm always uh, like continually reminded that you can always find yourself there again. Uh, that I'm mm-hmm. maybe someday uh, there'll be a place where like you get all of them and like you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, that phrase. But like I would say I have thrust myself headlong into that in a lot of ways, like one of them being improv, improvising. I have uh, literally put out advertisements in newspapers and got hundreds of people to give me and my friends money on the promise that we don't have an explicit plan for what we're going to give them for their time and money. <laughs> and I got very comfortable and confident in that. Yeah. And like one very sharp example is after working with that particular group, uh, this was back in Iowa, our hometown, uh, we were the only comedy show in town. So we got pretty good audiences Uh, I went to a bar to like pitch our show on stage uh, and I lost my nerve. Like just because. Oh, really? Yeah. It was like, it was a smaller venue. Uh, A lot of people in the audience had seen our show be before, but like I got the chance to like go up on stage between bands and like say, Hey, we're doing a show next weekend. And I just lost it. Did you just not go up on stage or up on did it stage, not go well? It didn't go well. I started talking real fast. Uh, I started speaking in a way that betrayed that I didn't want to be on stage talking at that moment. Uh-huh. And I got off the stage and I was like, wow, I just screwed up there. <laughs> at that time, my relationship with that was such that it just amused me. And I kind of yeah. enjoyed having the reminder that it can still happen. Uh, that you can right. still like you can still like lose that confidence uh, even in a context that feels like it should be the, the, the same. Uh, But I think it is a sort of thing that uh, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't go away. You just start reacting to it in different ways, but you'll still have those occasional moments where you, you feel that, that fear of failure. And in that case, I felt that fear of failure exactly at the moment that I was trying to give a small performance which didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet not. Uh, but often, like it's you know, the timing of it is not quite so tight uh, that if you have that momentary fear that the thirty seconds that you have on stage is going to be no good. Uh, being able to like recognize that it is, it's a natural reaction to new circumstances, even if they yeah. feel like they you know why why was it so different to be in someone else's space between two two bands uh, in a noisy bar versus in our own show where we had our own reputations on the line. Yeah, that's interesting. Especially because you, I mean, you're basically forgettable in that moment. Like you walked off that stage and everyone says like, who is that guy? I don't know. We'll never know again. We yeah. haven't given him any money. We don't know his name. Like, no one took note of it, probably. Um, I feel like if you're not, if you don't find yourself in that position of discomfort, 
occasionally at least, then you're probably stagnating. Mm -hmm. Then you're probably going to find yourself in a position of extreme discomfort eventually (laughs) as, as your industry evolves without you. To get back to specifically the, um, the software development use case here. But I think, I think in most cases, this has been one of our, our longer recording sessions. It has. Should we think about wrapping it up? I suppose maybe. Maybe.